Listen, I agree to every last bit of it. <laughs> because the other thing, Dominique, too, it's crazy. Because I knew when you start spitting some of the words, Melon was like, oh, Ooh, boy. Where my dictionary at, man? <laughs> <laughs> man, I need that dictionary. <laughs> oh, man. It's, get it uh, expeditiously. I'm Dr. Sharon Dukes. And I'm Melvin Dukes. We're HBC graduates. Proud educators. And most importantly, husband, husband and wife. wife. And you're listening to After School Talk Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of After School Talk, where I'm your co-host, Mr. Dukes, and uh, I'm your other co-host, Dr. Dukes. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, hey, Doc, hey, Doc, hey, Doc. Too excited, calm your nerves. Hey, we, I'm always excited during podcast like this right here why because we got a guest <laughs> on the show baby we got a guest on the show baby okay so you're right and this guest <laughs> already had us cracking up before we could even get started so you already know what it is i ain't want to waste no time in, in right <laughs> right people like who you didn't even say the boy name <laughs> give him a chance so uh today we have um dominique lester who is a good friend of ours who I met at the Payne College in Augusta, Payne Georgia. College. So, uh, Dominique, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to let you tell the people about you and yourself because you have so much going on in your life. Ain't that, it? And I can't keep up with everything. <laughs> I, one minute you're a trap slot, the next minute you're a reverend. So I, I need to, Yeah, I need you to let the people know who you are, what you do, and what you're currently working on, <laughs> PhD program, all that stuff. But check this out. Why can't we be doing both of them at the same time? <laughs> 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 what hey, what they said lean on, lean on me instantaneously instantaneously I'm doing this instantaneously you know what I'm saying you know what I'm saying like expeditiously all of that you know what I mean right so <laughs> so man it's I appreciate crazy. y'all man this is dope man my name is uh, Dominique Lester um, as Sharon said I am a 2012 graduate of Payne College. Um, yeah, I, I, I spent some time in the classroom as a kindergarten teacher, um, went to seminary at Emory University, and then I moved to New York to uh, be trained as a historian at Columbia University. And currently, I am a uh, third-year PhD student um, pursuing a PhD in education leadership. And professionally, uh, I serve as um, a director of programming and community relations at a faith-based nonprofit, a.k.a. a church, (laughs) in New York City. Um, (laughs) And I'm super excited to be here, man. This is fun. It's going to be a good conversation. So I'm ready for it. What we got going on? Okay, so... Before we get into this episode, I'm going to take a moment and make sure I shout out all of our supporters that we have for um, After School Talk. We have Bowtie Planners, The Cam K Way, Skin Society, Merit a Smile Gallery with Dr. Michael Thomas, Taste Buds, Nostalgia Clothing, Rio Fit, and Distinctive, uh, I always want to say Curations. <laughs> I'm so sorry, dude. Creation. That thing be sliding in there. Um, but of course, go to therightoffit.com, click on Podcast, scroll down to Supporters, and you can see these different links and businesses. Now, let me ask you this, Dominique, before we get started. Do you ever like take a moment and realize like you went to Emory and that you currently are at Columbia? Yo, <clears throat> so you know, naturally, when I first got to Emory, 
I feel like Emory was a bigger adjustment than Columbia. I think uh, that imposter syndrome and the double consciousness sit in at Emory because I grew up like three miles from the Emory campus, but you know, folk from my side of town, we didn't go to Emory. Most of us just went to HBCUs. So the mm-hmm. idea of going to this elite campus literally on the other side of Decatur never really struck me. So one of the things that a black faculty member told me when I got to Emory and I was really wrestling with like that Du Bois double consciousness piece, he was like, at Payne College, you were a big fish in a small pond. And now you're at a, you're still a big fish, but you're surrounded by other big fish. It's going to be important for you to figure out how to navigate that. <clears throat> so that was the bigger adjustment. Now, coming to Columbia and being a, a working professional, knowing that I'm really just in school to get my paperwork, uh, I really don't even notice the school politics as much as I probably should. So I hmm. think more than anything, I'm amazed on some days that I actually live in New York City and that I go to school there, not realizing always that Columbia is like, you know, creme de la creme. I think of it as a, another opportunity to kind of like put my people on and like get all we can from these good white folks and give it back to the hood. <laughs> yes. Come on, Robin Hood. Bring it on bike. Bring it on bike. All that. <laughs> Bring it on bike, the to... spook who sat by the door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's crazy to me because um, I feel like I had a similar experience of going to USC and my, my dad actually talked about this on the podcast of him telling me, like, you were smart in middle school, you were smart in high school. Like, that, that ain't never leave you when you get to the next step. But do you feel like that uh, pain gave you the uh proper preparation for it for that environment absolutely as a as an education major yes i also think you are um, an education the, major yeah i was uh what was our early childhood k through five wow okay okay so you know what i think it was i think i think it was the socialization process of being at an hbcu that prepared me to go on to a pwi not necessarily the academic rigor, but like the tenacity and the resistance needed to be in all white spaces where you pretty much are one of few people of color in a classroom on a campus that most days of the week is racist and, mm. you know, people getting killed and all kind of stuff going on and everybody acting like it's a regular Wednesday. You know what I'm saying? So I think... Mm-hmm. I think being at Payne College, I think pledging Alpha, I think the Royal Court stuff, I think just the woes of being a young adult at an HBCU really prepared me to navigate the concrete jungle of New York City, but also like the the high level of academic rigor that's at an Emory University and the Columbia. So it, it's a very interesting you know what I'm saying, dynamic, because when you in it, you don't even realize how crazy it is. And then on the other side right. of it, you're like, man, like, the white boys really did say some racist stuff in class, you know what I mean? Or like, this patriarchy <laughs> is a real thing. You know, all you know, like, all kind of stuff started to come out. And, you know, I think that Payne College experience, um, you know, those moments where 
you know, you living in the house with, with a bunch of folk and y'all ain't got nothing to eat. You know, it's, it's all those, those <laughs> random moments of growing pains that kind of like show you that things ain't as bad as they probably could be. So I, I think the, the motivation of wanting to see better, do better, be better, show other people better, alternative, you know what I'm saying, experiences, kind of make you not necessarily forget about those other pieces, but make you kind of like, you know, maneuver through those with a little bit more grace, you know, knowing that you're there for a bigger purpose. So like I've been cherishing those moments and I often, it's, it's funny that you even ask that because I often tell people that Upward Bound and Trio is like a group that's super special. And I take with me everywhere I go because I think about those kids we have every summer. Uh, in these spaces, and those are the reminders that I need to keep doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Up about that is a huge piece. Um, it's funny because I was just talking to somebody today, like about how we have to create better feeder systems for students. Mm-hmm. But and, and that and in the space I was talking about with that was with student engagement and those kind of things, but also for just black students in general. In general, they need a better feeder system into higher ed and, and then into the workforce and those kind of things with people that they actually trust and look up to. So, yes. Right. Shout out to Upper Bound. <laughs> now, okay, for sure. so for sure. the way you even ended up into this uh, <laughs> entanglement with us. <laughs> and Come on, entanglement! No Will and Tater, no Poppins, just entanglement. <laughs> Listen, you know, I'm ready for some bad now. Uh, oh, around with Sean Palmer, you had right. the whole trap theology presentation that you did for uh, UNC Wilmington, and right. it really, it like, you did an excellent job, right? And so they wow. got Melvin and I talking about trap um, music, um, but also right. going into the idea of, of track curriculums, whether they are already happening in the school or that you could mm-hmm. have track cur- curriculums that you can manipulate for engagement in schools. But before we get into all of that, because right, just like right, my right. mama, um, who saw my new t-shirt from Nostalgia and tried to figure out how to say equipment, I couldn't say it right. I want to make sure all the listeners <laughs> got a clear idea <laughs> of what we mean when we say trap, trap music. music. So could you please let the people know, define trap music for us? Yeah. <clears throat> I think, you know, trap music has a very interesting history and I think it's rooted in particularly the geography and the transportation routes in Atlanta. So when General Sherman, you know, burned Atlanta down, um, he burned down all the 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 the, the driving or the, the the ways that we were traveling. So unlike other major cities like a Chicago or New York, Atlanta is not built on a grid, and that's because it got burned down. So when it got built back up, it got built in a very awkward and weird way where all of these railways, all these expressways are just crossing over one another and then they go into dead ends. So you get this idea that many spaces in Atlanta are uh, one-way ins and one-way outs. So many of those are in particularly neighborhoods that folk that look like you and I occupy. So Mm -hmm. you get this idea that these urban areas are now being heavily populated by us. And in many ways, um, they become um, dope holes or spaces where trapping has this 
um, multiple multilingual understanding where trapping is working, trapping is selling dope, trapping is is kicking it. There's these very intricate ambiguity around what it means to trap. And I think these ideas of, of, of working in an underground enterprise uh, kind of gets at the nucleus of what trap means. And out of that, I believe uh, a particular genre of music emerged so much so helping us to understand this real idea of art imitating life. So much so when you think about particularly Spaghetti Junction um, in Atlanta, these ideas of all of these expressways in the Southeast corridor of the United States can take you almost anywhere in the United States. And that was why and how Atlanta became a major drug hub. And naturally, as Atlanta was emerging as one of those black Hollywood places, I do believe that it also embodied this area where you can't come through here and we're not getting no money off of it. So I think there was a a, a very um, interesting way that trap music kind of emerged, but it emerged out of also a lifestyle. Like I remember growing up. Right. Yeah. yeah. And these, the, that trapping before I knew what selling dope was, and I ain't never sold no dope, but my baseball coach sold dope. And I remember seeing like mm. the freshest dude in the hood with Jordan's on gold jersey smelling good. And he let me and my friends wash his truck and paint houses to get our school clothes. And ain't no way in the world a, a 10, 11 year old supposed to be making a hundred dollars for washing a suburban. But then it got me thinking like, how's this man getting all this money? Of course he had a, you know what I'm saying? a shell corporation that he was using. I think it was <laughs> this allure that I don't know. I grew up in between these, these poles of, of church, good upbringing, uh, good, well-meaning people. But on this other side, like while King is on the left, I grew up thinking about what it means to really ride down Glenwood and McAfee and be bumping Gucci Mane, like all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Idea of, 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 of this and that. I couldn't wait. Like on Sunday, we listened to V103 going to church and they playing, you know, Shirley right. Caesar. Right. I couldn't wait for church to get out because the V103, uh -huh. they are flipping. <laughs> you can listen to whatever you want to listen to. So in one day, <laughs> you kind of you end up um, navigating multiple spaces that you are able to operate in, not necessarily with ease, but with comfort. And I think we carry those, um, I think you know, Melvin will appreciate this one, these invisible curriculums with us <laughs> as, we, as we go about, you know what I'm saying, our daily routines, not realizing that education is taking place in those spaces as well. So this trap idea is like really encompassing and embodying of an entire lifestyle and movement that has taken on a life of its own. That that's a very I just want to say that's a very deep, <laughs> elaborate uh uh definition of trap music. But I agree to all of it. Like every single piece of it from you know the beginnings of Atlanta being burnt down to it being built back up. And then like you said, you got these dead end streets that end in our in our hood, in, in our neighborhoods and in, in right. our spots where where we live at 
but it's like it's it's the slums at these dead end spots, and and nobody wants to occupy these spaces. But because we have taken in these spaces, we made we have made it our own. And 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 like you said, this whole trap thing is is really a lifestyle. Some people might look at it and just say, "Oh, trapping is just an act." Or, you know, this just a thing that I do today or something like that. No, this this is every day. This this, this is my way of life, point blank period. Ain't ain't no cashing in today and I'm out tomorrow. No, this this pretty much my way of life, point blank period. So like I said, even though that that was a, a very elaborate definition, I agree to every last bit of it. <laughs> because the other thing, Dominique too. It's crazy because I knew when you start spitting some of the words, Melon was like, oh, Ooh, boy, where my, my dictionary at, man? <laughs> Man, I need that dictionary. <laughs> oh man, it's, get it uh, expeditiously. <laughs> expeditiously. Hey, okay, so even with what you said, one thing I like, I love that you called it an underground enterprise. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is that that idea of an underground enterprise tied into the idea of it being the slums is how I feel like trap music turned it into what Outkast would consider slum beautiful. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. we yes. really, before Absolutely. trap music, it wasn't glamorized. It was like, that's some dirty, you know, even even less like, mm. okay, so let's touch back. Go back to like Cash Money Juvenile era. Mm-hmm. When Juvenile came out with that first video, huh? It was nothing about that that looked like I want to be, yeah. be in a trap. But that was still a right. trap. That's oh, what that absolutely. area was. Mm-hmm. That was that lifestyle. But it didn't look like how T.I. and Gucci and the other ones that came after made it where Flip. it was like, yeah, they flipped it into, mm-hmm. like you say, this more slum beautiful kind of aspect. Um, which, it seems like to me that's kind of where that um, a- a- like you said, that invisible curriculum is kind of happening in education. You see you see how that's, that's tying in? Yeah. You know what is interesting you said that there's a professor at Georgia Tech um, who writes a lot about Southern hip-hop, right? And she did a phenomenal piece talking about uh, where, she, like, I think her dissertation was like on like what was happening in the Atlanta public cities, Atlanta public schools, whereby you get these little Johns, you get outcasts, you get Goody Mob, you get all these people that's coming out the West Side that was actually like creating these this 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 new movement of Southern hip hop. And, like, I think it is something that is extremely unique and germane to the city, right? That you got these people who were being educated in these schools at a time where I believe, like, Black teachers were still being creative, right? Where we still had the liberty (laughs) and the freedom to really, to do a thing and to love on young people, especially, like, it was when we had, like... value segregated schools like in the 40s and 50s prior to uh brown versus border education and with desegregation history lesson i also i also think um a beautiful piece of what happened in atlanta and in many other urban areas that may not always be documented is this idea of culturally responsive school leadership so there was this Mm. idea of school leaders who understood the communities that they were serving in, in part because they live with these people. These principals actually went to church for these kids. They were serving on city councils with these parents. They were active in these communities, so they knew a little bit about what was going on, so much so that they even knew the dangers that their students were dealing with, right? 
So I think a lot of it was this notion of of creative freedom and another ethic of care that was going on in our schools where black educators and black school leaders actually was like intertwined and entangled in the life of the kids they were actually serving. So I think it's a lot of that stuff going on, y'all, where um, just life was a little bit different. And I think what we see now when we when we when we jump ahead 25, 30 years or so, you start to get this emergence of of the Jeezys, of the futures, of the tips. You get you get a, a re resurgence of what it meant to come through those school systems. I think about, you know, these certain folk where I think Jacket Edge went to my high school, right? And I would get tripped mm-hmm. out because I see them at the gas station. So it was like we were living around these people. And we knew what they were saying was not a facade. Like, I remember when Look If You Book came out when I was in 10th grade. And I remember <laughs> all the fights that happened. I remember them, them house parties that got shut up behind Look If You Book and Black Mob and <laughs> all this stuff. Like, it was, it was the most ghetto of all things. <laughs> but the reality, <laughs> it was the ghetto, bro. Like... It was so good. It was so ratchet, but it was so pure and it was real. And I knew it was happening. Right. It was a whole Mm. thing where you can like feel the pulse of I'm a gat toting pistol holding on your street. Like Mm. I remember hearing that and my friends in the backseat of my car with dope and guns and didn't tell me. And I was terrified I was going to jail. Like, all of that. <laughs> uh, so I think all that stuff is happening, and I think it, it, it's happening in very intricate ways, and it's progressed. And I think that's where, like, like black education is happening in multiple ways, especially it's happening outside of the classroom. So our education as black folk does not always just happen with a formalized curriculum, education is happening for us in barbershops. It's happening for us in beauty salons. It's happening for us on the corner. It's happening for these young boys and girls where I live at, outside on the stoop. Like, we're being educated in informal ways that inform how we view the world. And I think the music helps us to embody so much of that because as much as we're learning about you know what I'm saying? Fractions and all that stuff. We're actually learning about what it means to survive or miss, you know what I'm saying? Police brutality, gentrification, and all of these things. So I think I think we're getting a world-class education as it relates to what it means to not only be the least of these, but what it means to to deal with the ethical dilemma of life. And I think all that stuff is happening when we listen to this music. Now you, it's it's interesting. The way you talk about trap music is from a um a what's the word from an academic standpoint, but also from a a uh oh goodness, like a love for it, like a love for it, uh, an infatuation yeah. with the music, right? I think it's yeah. that that's interesting because I, in education, to me, not ooh, hold up, let's not even just say in education. Let's tie two worlds together. In the black church and in education, that kind of right. music has always been a sign of rebellion mm-hmm. and 
we don't agree with it and that's not that's not what you listen to or what you align yourself with so for example the i remember when jeezy first hit the scene because of what the snowman Ooh, them t-shirts and wow. everybody you know they was on sale you can get them from the chinese stole the, yeah. you know how getting we do suspended from and school for wearing a t-shirt yes getting suspended from school yes, for the t-shirt, for the t-shirt. And i remember was like, when they banned them shirts on, on fort valley campus boy banned. you cannot wear no snowman t-shirt on their campus i remember that but they did it for the school system too you couldn't wear them in the school and so i i initially it's like oh, okay because that's you know um what what if i think the thing is if you really challenged the administration at that time to tell us why you did that i believe you moved out of fear oh, versus absolutely. knowledge yeah yeah yeah. yeah and yeah. and because you yeah. don't have yeah. a love for this music you know it's just like it, it is a disgrace to the community and your students so i'm a I'm a push back on that. That makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah. Absolutely. But it goes back to what Dominique said earlier about before your educators were from the community. Mm. You, I, I knew what this lifestyle was. I knew what was going on in the streets, out the streets, in the church, in the club, you know, all on the corner, all these, all these different things. But then you move, you know, fast forward to 2000, you know, 20 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, I have no understanding of what y'all talking about in this music <laughs> and that's where that's where your your problem come in because it, it's a it's a good thing to be in tune with trap music and 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 the lifestyle and all this kind of stuff because you can now make it relatable to your students it, it and, and it's and it's no different from from uh what you were just saying um man i, I lost lost my thought but the whole point is <laughs> the point the, the point is <laughs> you, you miss that when you were <laughs> 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 the whole point is you miss that as an educator when you're not in tune with the whole trap music or the trap lifestyle and 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 you miss being able to you know relate to your kids in a, in a way is that is you know that, what, I man, think, I'll, I'll take it a step further I, I think it's a politics of respectability attached to it right ooh, so I think about like shut up now Sharon brought up a really good point about you know what I'm saying the black church and, and those pieces, right? I don't believe these people came out the womb quoting scripture, taking communion, and 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 raising him, right? These folks right, in the right. early black churches, they were listening to blues. James Cone, black mm-hmm. theologian, yeah. writes about yeah. these various blues narratives that we kind of embody as we thought about what it meant for us to be living as oppressed people, but believing God somehow is going to make a way. Like, yeah, this is a whole a whole piece that you know we were actually living through, living in, and in some ways, I'd argue that for our generation, trap music is our blues narrative. It is how Absolutely. we deal Absolutely. with the 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 intricacies of poverty. You know, I I live just the day to day. I live about. Period. It's the it's the day to day struggle, bro. I live two miles from the Bronx, from the South Bronx in Harlem, and it's like food deserts all over the place. So I'm thinking about how these yeah. folk are making meaning, and when they and when and when they hear Cardi B, they go up because she is speaking a language that is familiar and germane to the things that they see on a daily basis. These kids in the Bronx love a, a boogie, and I'm like, I can't really rock with them because I don't too much care for it. <laughs> But they get they get it because he's speaking a, a fact or a language that is familiar. And I think for yeah. many of us from the South, when we hear a certain bop, we like, yeah, that's 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 the one. Like, 
Mm-hmm. When I, I, I remember mean, when I first fell in love with, with trap music, it was Gucci Mane's Chicken Talk. And I think I was in my <laughs> Bruh, that don't ride. Uh, when I tell you, he said a song called Swing My Dough. This joker said, I'm a gold mouth dog, definition of the South. Ain't no quarters, ain't no halves, just some holes in this house. I was like, what is he talking about? (laughs) And and I got so intrigued and I got into the music and I was like, man, these folk are telling a story that is familiar because I remember my baseball coach hiding them bricks Mm. in the bumper of the cars that was outside. And then I'm like, Dude, they are masterful storytellers. And like, mm-hmm. like one of my favorite rappers is Rocco because his vocabulary is so extensive. Like, and as a preacher mm. and as a writer, I listen to this music because the language is so beautiful. Now, the content mm. might not always be, you know what I'm saying, the most gender something you agree uh, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? A lot of it is patriarchal, a lot of it is misogynistic. And, you know, my favorite is Future, and a lot of it's toxic. But, like, you know, like Dre said, like, Future makes the most, you know what I'm saying, inspirational negative music ever. And I totally agree. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's something about the language and the oratorical pieces attached to it that make you want to go in and hear more about these stories that, in some ways you've been privy to because of geography and where you're from. So all of those pieces are kind of working together. That politics and respectability piece is always a thing. They act like King was was not radical. They act like all those those leaders that we revered did not have an opinion on things. And I think it's because folk are just scared to deal with the fact that, you know what I'm saying, life is changing, technology is shifting the way we do everything. And I think what happens is people think they're going to be irrelevant if they begin to embrace something that is not familiar to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of that. And I think the hardest part is I know that the respectability politics sometimes comes from a place of fear due to historical reasonings. So I know that, um, okay, gr- great example. I know several women who work in higher ed, who have, all have natural hair. We all have locks and, you know, your natural hair, twist outs, all those kind of things. And the older black women have been in shock that we've been able Y'all to... Still surviving. Yeah, that we're surviving. <laughs> Nobody has... Hired. Yeah, like, you, you're the you're the vice president or you're the president of school? Because it's before, those things were going to be a block for you. And so, at woman to woman, it was more so, I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. I don't want nobody to judge you and those and those kind of things. But then, I think the... Um, millennials came through was like nah bruh like we gonna, we gonna change it up you gonna you gonna have to take me in all of my natural state and you gonna have to realize that i'm not monolithic it. i listen to trap music and i quote scriptures all of that go hand in hand right. and right. those are the kind of educators i think you need in order to break through to the students who um have not been exposed to different sides so my thing has always right. been okay just like us with the royal court, yes, royal. T- when royal court time comes, it's a suit, it's a tie, it's a great wave, it's a nice smile. I may be poised, and in the next minute, okay, well, we head over to the reception at the coronation. Soon that event over with. <laughs> hey, it's a whole other DJ <laughs> over there. Come on, <laughs> <in Canada. laughs> 
Right. <laughs> Done deal. We did the show. We good. Okay, I'm great. Okay, good. So it's like telling students like, yeah, you can you you can know both sides. I think at some point when that respectability politics came in and they tried to shut it off, I think that's what pushed people to be more um aggressive in a lifestyle as a sign of like I'm not gonna listen to what you have to tell me and then therefore I'm not going to receive information from you that could be helpful in my life because I I don't think you really understand me. And I and that's the challenge. I, I'm I'm I know Melvin, you being a current educator, I feel like that's the challenge when you work at public school systems right now who do not give you the freedom to bend the curriculum to fit the culture of the school. Yeah, you definitely in a bubble. Uh, absolutely, like it's a real life bubble. You you want to extend a little bit further than they allow you to, and as soon as you try it, uh, uh, take, uh-uh, get that back out of here because that does not line up with the yeah, curriculum yeah, yeah. at all. No, no. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I but I, I commend y'all because one of the biggest blind spots for me and challenges as a researcher and a PhD student doing work on school principals and superintendents and the like is that y'all are on the ground and we sit in ivory towers concocting theories and ideas mm. to help school systems and districts be better. But we not there on the ground. And I'm often wondering, like, what does it look like for us to, you know what I'm saying, really be like on some Afrofuturism type stuff? And we can really have schools that embody the fullness and the wholeness of everything that we bring. And I'm not I'm not sure if that's going to happen in like traditional modes that, you know, what I'm saying we subscribe to. Like, I wonder what it, Sharon, I literally wonder what it would look like if the best of Payne College educational talent started a school. Oh, come on. You know what I'm saying? Or, or the best of or Clark Atlanta's talent started schools. And we were able to reimagine and reshape what curriculum looks like that was that was critical that was that that played on social emotional skills, but that really cared for students and gave them the things that they needed to not only be successful, but to navigate this space and that space. And you know, I, I struggle when I think about these things because we go get all this schooling and then we go work in oppressive institutions to complain yeah. and write about the things that we want to change. And right, right, I've been right. struggling with that because I don't I don't know what we what we do with all these all this black power, all this black girl magic, all the things that we have when we go to spaces to just exist. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and on top of that, here's the crazy part to me. This has always been a crazy part for me when it comes to curriculum. You just mentioned the professor at Georgia Tech, and I think her name is either Joycelyn Wilson or Jocelyn Wilson. But then you have the other one, Regina mm-hmm. Bradley, that's at um at Armstrong, which is now like the Georgia Southern of Savannah. Um, both of them have courses mm-hmm. that are um rooted in outcasts, right? It's so interesting to me that you you have schools, um I shouldn't say schools, you have the opportunity to dig into something so deep like that, but not until college. 
when mm. really that would be doing a service to students who are in middle school and elementary mm -hmm. I mean in middle school and high school mm -hmm. um, and then when I get to college I jump into it even even more in depth because I, I look back into the times we had mentoring programs and I'm talking about Dominique we would go I remember having these kids basically do a study of the lyrics of Toilet Tissue for Outcast and Tupac's Brenda's Got a Baby and watching them go through that that's what the college students are doing it's the same thing but if it wasn't for the extracurricular activity space and me being able to do it there it may not happen and so for every time that there's a teacher um like brandy peterson that was at our school who she could she could literally tie in things to the literature that the the she knew that group of students would re be um be relevant for every person like hey, them like her there's a teacher who literally i remember saying she did not want tupac's uh a rose that grew from concrete as one of the books that students could read and it was like why have you even listened to a Tupac song? Do you even know who Tupac is? What, to be quite honest, man, half these kids don't really even know who Tupac is. That's why we're going right. to take this journey and yeah. talk about it, right? Yeah, and, right? And that's the issue. It's like when you when you have your best talent of educators who really can come and be uh, restraint-free, now I can do something. Mm. But when you basically just walked in and told me, like, this is what you're teaching. By uh, this time. By this time, yeah. And we don't care. Like, no, it's To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> that's what you're teaching better all align yeah. with this test. Yep, 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 yep. They better pass. You better have a certain percentage of pass. Absolutely. Yeah, they're like, I think that takes away from mm -hmm. it. And, and really and truthfully, uh, the I think the school system. And, and here's the other thing. Let me say this too, because um, my Twitter friends, we we talk about this. There are schools like that who can challenge the curriculum, and they have the space, and they um they don't care what the state said. They're gonna go and and ride or die, do what they gotta do. But there are more that right. are not there able to do go. that. Absolutely. That's the issue. So Absolutely. for every Ron Clark Academy, it's a regular old public high school <laughs> that's like, no, nah, we ain't right. we ain't doing nothing. No, about, for every Ron Clark Academy, there's about five <laughs> regular schools. Man, mm. please. Mm -mm. So so what do y'all how do we what do we do there? You know what I'm saying? Like I think we get to to experiment in our places that we serve just because we radical in that way and we take the risk because we know it's worth it, right? But our, mm -hmm. I, I've seen us do work with Upward Bound over the summer and I know the kind of stuff that y'all do and I know the kind of work I've been into. Like, what does this look like for us to, like, create those spaces or even empower those teachers or get into these front offices where we can really do uh, a deep dive into what these curriculums look like and how these schools are ran. Like, what does this thing look like? I don't, I don't know what we do, and I think that's what I've been thinking. You know about. what? My my thought for the last, absolutely, the last year has been my thought for the last year is um, the same way you have content creators on social media that we need those same content creators in education mm -hmm. because Ooh. for some reason when you in the on the when you are in the field doing it they don't value it as much you have to go and do a little splash right. over here a splash over there and get other people on board and then now it's and they're like oh gosh maybe we should be doing this you know uh district wide or yeah like i need you to see it because I remember one time, oh Lord, Dominic, you better get me started. So <laughs> I had uh <laughs> it looked that um I was working on something, a project for the school, we were doing something, and um the a, a person higher up, like one of the superintendents who have different ones, made the comment like, Well, all the schools are doing that. 
you want to talk about a nuck if you book moment ma'am you don't Ooh. even know what i'm doing though because you don't understand it you've never you you haven't even been in the school or the building to see what it is i'm doing you're just you're taking it for face value and you think that's what it is so what i've recognized is sometimes dominique when you go into a place and you deliver your gifts and your talents and then you leave they're not gonna know it until you leave mm-hmm. then they go wait hold up we need that yeah we, we do need, need that, that come back. bring that back mm-hmm. that, that 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 was really working bring, now, bring now it, i want it in my space bring it back bring it back <laughs> run it back <laughs> so i would tell and so that's why um i had a student this morning we were talking about leadership and um she's in our leadership program and she was interviewing me and she said what do you think a leader is and i said a leader is an influencer I said, we, we laugh at these people on social media that are influencers, but they really are leaders. And so in order to get more educators to take hold into what we're saying, we have to influence you to, to understand that you, this is a value. So it's just like if I see Jackie right. Anna, who one of my favorite social medias, and she say that this new eyeshadow palette is the one. I've watched Jackie Anna enough. I trust her. She gives me great details. She ain't never let me, like, I'm, I'm, hey, that's what I need to gravitate towards. But I think once you get, you know, so many people that we know are talented educators, but they're boxed in at the school they're at. So you've been working at this same school right. for 30 years and nobody else knows that you are holding on to the golden egg. Mm. It hasn't been spread across the county. Sharon, I think you, you, you make a really good point about, like, how we privilege knowledge, right? And who gets to say mm. a thing. And mm-hmm. I think that's the reason why we 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 go from these HBCUs that nurtured us into these oppressive white elite spaces, because I think we then understand that in order for us to continue to do the work that our soul must have, that we got to navigate these spaces and get these degrees and write these dissertations so somebody can be like, okay, Dr. Mm-hmm. Dukes is official, and she know what she's yep. talking about. Now we'll listen. And, mm-hmm. and, evidently, yeah. and evidently, she know what she's talking about. We might can listen to her. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think those things I become tell, like, so... I ain't gonna tell no lie, Dominique. So crucial. <laughs> I, I didn't... I didn't... Look, I ain't get this doctorate because I didn't already know I knew what I was talking about. Y'all just needed some paperwork right. to show that I know that I know what I'm talking about. That's, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. all it was. That's right. Facts. 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 So I, I think about that all the time when I'm sitting up here. I'm like, man, what am I doing this for? And I'm like, I know the things, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know what I know, but it's like, in order for me to be able to walk into a classroom or influence a school district or teach at whatever school I desire, I have to be able to prove that somebody, I wrote a thing, is research-based, and that's and that my advisor mm-hmm. signed off on it. So it's like, mm-hmm. man, my knowledge mm-hmm. becomes commodified, and then it begins to get tricked into like a capitalistic, you know what I'm saying, piece of you know what I'm saying, whose work yeah, matters right. and whose work counts. So man, it, it's it's a cruel mm-hmm. world. <laughs> it's jacked up. Yeah, you you're right. But it also go you said something um of like, well, who holds the basically the power to make the decisions i think that's another thing that social media has taught us that we have to take hold of for education wise so before Mm -hmm. it was the celebrity we went to for everything if you weren't the celebrity who was the person with the money and the power you know you weren't of importance as far as selling a product right 
But now mm-hmm. social media has given everybody a platform. At the end of the day, everybody at the same stage. So are you mm-hmm. are you able to gravitate and pull in the people who are doing the groundwork that really uh, resonate with you? Because I don't need to talk to the superintendent. Mm-hmm. If I got 10 of your teachers in there that's going to rock and say what I'm, that what I have is of value to them, then I'm good. But before, your that's only cool. audience were the top-notch people. That's mm-hmm. the only people you could talk to. Yeah, so I've always, yeah, so wow. I've always recognized a lot of the times when we talk, we ain't talking to the principal. We ain't talking to the assistant principal. We're not talking to the superintendents on this podcast. Like, it's about them teachers who are in the classroom like, I am struggling, and I'm tired of these people up here trying to tell me what to do because that ain't working. (laughs) I want somebody who I can look at and go, yes, thank you. Validate the fact that I am using um, T.I.'s album in my classroom. Value the fact that I'm doing a Black Lives Matter project in my my classroom and that it can relate to other things. Those are the people that you want to make sure are looking at your works and going, I want to have Dominique Lester come in and do a professional development with the English department or with my kindergarten teachers or those kind of things. Um, yeah, I, I just realized like a long time ago, like, yeah, I ain't talking to them people. Y'all y'all get the big checks and just sit and wait. So so, so what it sounds like to me is right now is the perfect time to uh, put out your ideas um, or whatever you want to want to do. Oh, cause like you said, social media. Let's make it happen. Get these teachers to listen. So, hey, this podcast right here, we got some ideas. So, if, if you like our stuff, tell a friend, to tell a friend, to tell a friend about this about this podcast, and keep on listening. Cause we got a lot of stuff to share with y'all. Tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. That's it. That's it. Like I, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge, but I tell a couple jokes every now and then. You there to support? You the hype man? Yeah, you know I'm the hype man. I'm the hype man for all of this. We're gonna keep bringing people on like Dominique Lester, when, especially when you get that PhD. Boy, Dr. Lester, bring it on bike. Bring it Boy, on bike. Uh, Let's go. Bring that thing on back on some. Listen, well, Dominique. You, we have taken up enough of your time because I know you probably got to write a paper due in look. He got to do something. We, gotta going, do something. we about to go into the weekend, but he about to go into a library somewhere, <laughs> a coffee shop. First of all, bro, I ain't going into nowhere. Rona out here playing, ain't playing with these people. <laughs> you right about that. So right about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, y'all can't do that today. Dominique is at the crib. <laughs> He said, I can write this dissertation right here. Uh, I don't need no way to go. But, Dominique, we really, look, we appreciate you being on here. Uh, We are going to have you come on again. We always like to invite people back. Lord, this thing got so excited. We always like to invite people back so they can share. Um, Of course, you and I got this conference that we're going to be on in a couple of weeks. So, we'll be talking trap music again. And um, I'm I'm gonna keep me listen. Let me tell you, my students are just laughing at me. They said I've been on Gucci all week. <laughs> I said, have I? They was like, every time we come in here, you got Gucci playing. I was like, well, you know, I was just preparing for future Dr. Lester. <laughs> to make sure I was, in case he needed me to quote any songs, I was ready. You know, I was listening now. Between Gucci, Jeezy, and Ti, I had you. Look, look, all of that we having plenty, and y'all know Gucci about to drop a new a new book like this week. Well, we got the Gucci book. We got right the book here. sitting right here. Sitting right here. Right. We I got, got my job right, right here. Mm-hmm. Don't play by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so what we're gonna do now is um, I'm gonna stop the recording. Oh, Mel, you ain't get to say bye. I'm about to say we ain't get to. We ain't even end. Oh, so sorry, I got it. Uh, we'll see y'all next time. Oh yeah, make sure you subscribe. Give us a like. Follow us on Twitter. I got excited. I'm sorry. Follow us on Twitter. <laughs> two dudes up instagram of after school talk and um uh the right effect r-i-t-e-e-f-f-f 
S-E-C-T.com. Yeah, I said all the letters. Yeah, the point, if you want to hear me yeah. spell it, just listen to one of the old episodes that I said that before. And share it with a friend. Peace. And tell a friend, or tell a friend, or tell a friend.